0: Hello and welcome to Sustainapod, the podcast produced by young people for young people about the world of sustainability. We talk to leading professionals and change makers about what it takes to build a more sustainable future, sharing the stories and tips and insights for you to take some action. Today we'll be talking about AI. How can AI be used for positive impacts on policy and governance frameworks? for responsible innovation and ethical development and deployment of AI. Today, we're joined by the program coordinator from the Alan Turing Institute, as well as Millie and I, who are now university engineering students. So Flynn, how are you doing today?
1: I'm great, thank you. Yeah, really excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So Flynn, can you give yourself um, a quick introduction? What do you do and who you are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My name is Flynn. I live in London in the UK and I work at the Alan Turing Institute, which is the National Institute for Data Science and AI here in the UK. And so, uh, yeah, as mentioned, I work in the public policy programme. So this programme thinks all about how kind of the advent of AI and data science can help government and governance be more efficient, more equitable, kind of work better, but also thinking about how we use governance frameworks and government functions to govern the development of ai so it's kind of these two streams but i also work as an independent researcher on a couple of different things And my background is thinking a lot about public participation and how we can create decision-making infrastructures that essentially give people more of a say in the decisions that affect them and i'm very much now thinking a lot about this kind of stuff how can we both use kind of these public participation structures to get more diverse voices included in AI development and deployment, but also the other side of how can we use AI to kind of possibly create more participation, more deliberation in the public sphere and beyond. So
2: yeah, I to talk about any of that. Thank you for your introduction. It sounds really interesting what you're doing with AI. However, our audience might not really know much about AI as in what is artificial intelligence? Why has it become such a big topic relating to technological development? Can you explain in simpler sentence, talking about AI generally?
1: Yeah, of course. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely become a hot topic uh, at the moment. That's like largely due to a couple of tools that I'll mention in a second. But at its core, artificial intelligence is essentially just machines that are taught to do something. So this could be some kind of problem solving, this could be some kind of decision-making, um, and this could range from you know playing chess incredibly well to looking at CT scans and identifying tumors, for example. Uh, and there's a couple of different ways that this is done, kind of basically how these machines are taught They kind of all deliver different outputs. But I think when you hear the term AI in the news cycle at the moment, Really what people tend to be talking about is a specific subset, which is called generative AI. So things like chat GPT, which is this kind of text production tool that really, I think has driven a lot of the mass attention to this kind of stuff, but also image generation tools like OpenAI's Dali or like stable diffusion. These are all called generative AI. So you put in some kind of input with some instructions, like, you know, write me an essay about the industrial revolution in the style of William Shakespeare. And it can do that. And so this is really useful for some things. It also has some people worried about a couple of things, but I think really when people talk about AI these days, they mean that, but this is only one section and there's a whole other range of what we call machine learning tools and and processes out there as well. So it's quite a wide spanning thing, but yeah, it it can seem quite confusing
0: at times. And that's a really good point. I mean, I think a lot of people talk about AI and like what you said, they're talking about chat GPT, they're talking about all these things, oh, how students are using this, making their essays, but like AI is a lot more than that. And as you said with Go, like how how they managed to play that to start off with, I'm just wondering, like there are so many benefits to AI, but at the same time, like the news cycle has all of these things about horror stories about how AI, like deep fakes are scamming a lot of money right now. Like, what do we need to do Um, what kind of oversight do we need so that these AI can be um, trusted by the people and so that people are being protected?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's a really big question. And I think it's a question that no one has one answer to. The main thing with this technology is it's developing so quickly that a lot of the work and a lot of the kind of work of governments and regulators really struggle to keep up. But there's a a few different ways that people think we can go about this. And, And like you say, I do think there are, amazing things that could, that AI can help with especially in kind of research and things like engineering that, that you know you both study but there are also risks like you mentioned these kind of deep fakes and, and all these kind of things so yeah some people would maybe say it goes on to the responsibility of the kind of labs who are making this so you know there's a couple of big AI labs who are making these tools that are really popular so OpenAI, like I already mentioned, they made ChatGPT. They also made like Dali, this image producer, but there's others like DeepMind, which is now actually Google DeepMind, which is based here in the UK, but owned by Google, they produced AlphaGo, the the tool that that you mentioned, that really learned how to play Go and actually ended up being basically the best Go player in the world. Um, So some people think all the responsibility and all the oversight should more come from, from these ad labs, not most because they're producing the tools that then go out to the public. So maybe, you know, we get in right at the beginning and make sure before anything's released, it's kind of safe, it's ethical. We kind of imagine all the problems that might come of it. But also there are some people that say, really, these kind of labs should play a big role in oversight because they're also the experts and this stuff's really complex and who understands it better than the people who make it. But there are other folks who might tend to think it should be more the role of government, of kind of, regulating bodies so there are these bodies all around the world internationally who tend to put these kind of regulations and laws in place for how things can be used or deployed or made and some people think AI labs possibly can't be trusted or possibly don't have the know-how to really think about how we can create good oversight and so this should kind of like most things sit with governments but again it's hard because the tech's developing so fast governments can sometimes struggle to keep up it's very nuanced and, and there's lots of different ways of thinking how we can do oversight on this do we do oversight on the tools themselves do we think mostly about how they're used and try and regulate that do we think about who can use them you know there's, there's lots of different questions so It's quite complex um but something i'm really interested in at the moment is is again talking about that kind of public participation point is i'm wondering are there ways as well in which we can bring more people into this conversation because At its core, an important thing about AI is that many of the questions about applying AI are quite philosophical. Mm And they talk about, you know, they're quite value-based questions. Some of them are very technical, but some of them are these wider value-based questions about who should be able to do what, and what parts of our society do we want this tech to, to play a role in? Do we want it to make decisions about people's healthcare? I mean, you can talk about how effective that tech is in making those decisions statistically, But also you need to think about what would patients feel like if they were being given a diagnosis or decided to go into surgery and it was a kind of you know some kind of ai tool instead of a a human doctor making that decision so are there ways as well that we can kind of diversify those voices and, and give people more understanding of what's happening and more of a decision about how their data is used how they interact with these tools moving forward be it in public sector like healthcare or be it in the private sector like with banks So it's quite a big nuanced question that I think people are still very much thinking about. Some people are arguing about, but it's an interesting space, definitely.
0: You talked about policies, right? So public and private sector, you said about banks, you talked about healthcare. Are there any responsibilities that these two sectors need, um, like separately, like what are some responsibilities that the public sector needs to give? and some that the private sector needs to give?
1: Yeah, again, I mean, it's quite a big debate at the moment, and and there's people who would definitely think, you know, one has more responsibility or should do more than the other. I personally think we probably need a mix of the both. I think there are some things that private sector organizations, be that the private companies who are building these tools, or be it private companies who are using them, I do think there are certain things that they need to think about and that they can probably maybe think about slightly better than government, just use like technical understandings, possibly. I also think in, in, in society there has been a big shift towards, you know, quite big demands of you know what people call corporate social responsibilities, CSR or ESG, which is like environment, society and governance, like companies, private companies really acknowledging the roles that they play in society and making sure that they put things in place to make sure that their practices aren't bad for society. You know, and I, I do think that AI is becoming a part of that conversation, you know, if you are using an AI tool to make key decisions about, for example, who you give a loan to if you're a bank, well there has been some studies that have shown some of these tools can be quite biased because of data that they're fed on essentially, and if you're relying on a tool that gives biased outcomes and therefore you know that's making possibly biased decisions about who should receiving you know money from this bank i think the bank probably does hold some responsibility to think about how you can analyze that and and mitigate that problem but i also definitely do think there's a big role for, for governments and regulatory bodies to enact laws legislation that also make sure that private sector organizations are very much thinking about the good of the people and not necessarily just looking to for example you know, make their profit bigger because they replaced this person with an AI tool and now they save money because they no longer pay that person's salary, for example, or they introduce a new technology that gives them a competitive advantage over someone that's, you know, in the same space as them. I think there is a responsibility of governments to think, take the whole picture as a whole, not just thinking about individual markets and individual businesses, take picture as a whole. And yeah, I, I think they have a role to play in making sure we have legislation and acts in place. And, you know, we look at social media right now, When social media first came out, everyone thought it was the best thing ever and it's going to connect the world and it's going to do all these amazing things. But we also quite quickly learned that social media can sometimes be a force for bad. You know, not only for democracy, the way we've seen that kind of bots and and trolls kind of spread myths and disinformation around during elections, which AI definitely could make worse by essentially making myths and disinformation better and more, you know, better for the people who want to consume it. Better, I say, you know. Better in the idea that it's even more convincing convincingly fake um but also you know the online harms point of view like children being exposed to stuff things to do with body image things to do with mental health and there's a big piece of legislation in the uk parliament going around that's been going around for quite a long time now called the online safety bill that's thinking all about how to make sure people are safeguarded against the possible threats that technology faces and I think people have learned a lot of lessons about social media and maybe where we didn't act fast enough. So I do think the conversation has started happening a lot quick, more quickly with AI thinking, how do we make sure that this you know, doesn't interfere in ways that are damaging to society, that this doesn't hopefully do things that might be damaging to individuals as well. Um, so I think it definitely comes both in the private sector and the public sector, holding slightly different different points of view and, and different bits of responsibility but i think you know we all need to bring these areas together if we want to have a a full kind of really effective response to the possible the possible threats that this technology could cause
2: thank you for sharing about like how different stakeholders have to do have the responsibilities to think about this problem and also as you have mentioned the application of ai sometimes could be very philosophical so could you just explain more about ai and ethics
1: yeah yeah of course but there is quite a lot of things that people think about when it comes to how do we make sure that yeah ai is 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 used ethically acts ethically and so the bias is a really big thing you know essentially these are at their core just very complex algorithms in a way you know you feed in some data you say do something to or with this data and you get an output and that essentially means that the decisions the ai tool makes is very much based on the data you give it and as i'm sure we're all aware we do live in a biased society and that means that the data generally collected by these systems by these companies reflects the biases of society so it's not the tools naturally being biased and, and always being biased but it's the fact that if you use real world data that data is typically biased you shouldn't give them parole so what this means is it's not the ai tool being Kind of bias by itself but because it's using data that comes from the biased world that we live in it can create biased decisions and so this is kind of a big issue that people are trying to think about how do we overcome that how do we possibly try and create because there's kind of two camps right some people might say we should tr- create data sets that are completely kind of unbiased that means the decision could be made without reflecting the biases of human society Whilst in some other situations, some other people say, it's not, for example, the example I just gave, but in in some other situations, people might say, we need those biases because actually the biases are truly reflective and how do you know what's truly reflective of like a real world situation and what is necessarily biased? So it's quite a difficult situation and there are people working about how we can kind of overcome these problems. Um, But just to mention a couple other, you know, there's issues with kind of transparency, people not fully knowing how these tools work and so For example, if I'm applying for a loan at a bank and I, don't, first of all, might not know that my my decision, the decision about whether to give me money is being made by an AI system, maybe that's an ethical problem. Should I know if it's a machine or a human? And if I say I'm turned down for the money, but the people in the bank might not even be able to fully explain why the algorithm told them that they shouldn't give me a loan, is that an ethical problem? Should I be able to fully understand and have it explained to me why I didn't get this, but not everyone understands why these tools come to the decisions they do. Even the developers, often these tools kind of exhibit behaviors that the developers weren't expecting and they can't really explain just because of the way they're kind of self-learning and then self-teaching. Um, and, you know, also in that situation, for example, who's accountable? Because someone at the banks might say, hey, it's not my problem. You know, we have this, this trusted, statistically proven, accurate machine. I'm not accountable for you not getting this loan. And that creates an accountability gap. You know, who's held accountable for the decisions that are being made? And that becomes also increasingly dangerous when it's used more in government functions and these kind of things where, you know, supposedly the, the function of government is to make sure that the people that they serve are served correctly. But if more and more, for example, might get used by AI machines that are biased, et cetera, there's a danger there that it could cause some kind of gap. So there's a few different things that, People are thinking about, um, quite a lot when it comes to the, the ethics of AI. And again, no one has kind of one answer, but there's definitely kind of these risks are being identified.
0: Definitely. And, kind of branching off what you're saying, just because I know basketball well, but when you talked about biased data, another word that I want to add on to that is untracked data. There's a lot of data fields that people are tracked based on certain numbers and certain factors. But maybe there's other other factors that aren't tracked. So my, in my example of basketball, maybe there are a lot of defensive factors that are not accounted for. So that leads to a lot of, lot less people that are, can apply for all NBA or all-star teams, just because of statistics, statistics is everything. And this is not just for AI, but people are plagued by this thing of like, oh, we use statistics to make sure that this is what we want. And like, this is the goal that we, we want to achieve. But then the statistics can mold with the real eye test, you know. So when you said about banks, maybe that person has made mistakes in before, but has actually changed and has been enlightened and knows better. But is it heartless for the AI to say no? So maybe feeding this question back to you, when you talked about the, the organ donation or, or the patient and the, the surgery type situation is it the AI's fault for not giving that organ? Or is it the fault of people who make the AI to give data to suggest that it is? And if so, is the AI emotionless?
1: Yeah, so so again, I think it's quite a philosophical question. And I think, you know, I definitely want to stress that there are people in the AI field who who think we will reach a point and, and possibly think we should reach a point, that the goal should be to reach a point where we have technology that has kind of real, what humans identify as intelligence or, or sentience. And therefore, you know, you might also ascribe some kind of emotion with that and, and some kind of, and the argument might go that if we had an AI system that was sentient, you know, and, and, and most people would agree, maybe was just as alive and, and as, say you or I, then maybe the kind of AI tool could be held accountable. And I think, so I don't think it's so much a question of fault. I think it's more a question of responsibility. And at this point, AI tools are, well, they're exactly that, they're tools. And so I think it's the responsibility of the people who are gonna use them to have meticulous testing to make sure that they are as right as they believe they will be and as accurate as they will be. And, you know, there are already some things that say, for example, self-driving cars are statistically proven to be safer than human-driven cars. Or some of these kind of, you know, uh, kind of like I mentioned before, and like you mentioned there, some of these AI tools that can look at images of say CT scans and identify brain tumours. Some, you know, I'm making up statistics here, but some people are already saying these things are 80, 90% accurate. And don't quote me on that. But you know these things are very accurate, and so that also might lead people to say, "Well, on average, you know, humans have a seventy percent accuracy. We've proven through testing with these 10,000 or three hundred thousand test cases that this bot is actually 90 percent accurate. Well, maybe therefore we should use the bot." But I, I think, I think, when you're introducing these technologies into any system, especially systems that affect real people. There has to be transparency on, on where they're being used, why they're being used, like how they're being used. And there also does have to be accountability. You know, you should design a governance structure within your organization that means even if an AI tool makes a decision, there needs to be systems where things can go through and people can query stuff and be explained. And there also needs to be accountability. Someone needs to be accountable for the decisions that these things made, because also you're a person who's making the decision to use that AI tool in the first place. So. I don't think we can kind of blame the tools themselves. We are still learning how accurate many of these tools are, and there's like millions of different tools at this point. So we're still figuring out how accurate these things are. But I think the responsibility falls on the people who want to use these tools to, first of all, make sure they're as accurate as they can be, and, and they're really using it for, for good reason, and not and like possibly not just for saving money, etc. But also that you have the kind of accountability there, definitely, so that there's accountability when
2: those decisions are made yeah it's very interesting how you mentioned like the accountability is shared between the professionals and also computer scientists so i'm wondering would you say it's very important for like different kinds of professionals for example like the doctors or like engineers to study ai so that like they would be the people who would know what's the best for their customers Otherwise, like the people who are actually writing the AI program, they might be just computer scientists. They might know nothing about like the field that their program is in, like the ethics of that particular field. So do you think it's important for these professionals to actually learn about like the applications of AIs, the pros and cons of AIs? Or is it just okay for those professionals and say computer scientists to work together to find out what is the best for the particular field? in order to use AI in an ethical way?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, And I 100% think, I think everyone should strive to become more informed on this. But I think especially if you work in a field where you know that these kind of tools are gonna become more present and more used, something like medicine, like you mentioned, I think in medicine and medical sciences, in the research kind of side, 100% these tools are gonna be used more but also in the application side, and and you know possibly this kind of, um, you know, identifying diseases and and uh, all of this. So I definitely think that people in these systems should strive to become informed, because in my opinion, probably I don't want to make too many predictions, but probably like it or not, these things are going to come in more and more. Um, there's already lots of interest from say the NHS in the UK, or you know all these different systems. That these tools are going to be used so i do think people should become informed because they need to understand how it's changing the system they're working within how it might change their role and how they might use this and how they might be asked to use this i think it's going to be more common that these tools are you know very much you know people are people are told that they should be using these tools more and more so yeah i I think everyone especially in a profession where they think ai is going to be on the rise in, in that area uh, should definitely look to, to get more informed and, and, and also that, you know, there are people who also say, you know, AI is going to change the way we work. The extent of that, I don't know, we'll see. And, you know, some people say it will not too much. And some people say it will completely overturn the way we organize and our economy runs. And, you know, I don't know, Safe bets probably somewhere in the middle, but I also think, you know, there's always a big argument that realistically, and especially for young people, you're going to be entering working systems where AI tools are more prominent. And I think it's important for you to stay skilled with these tools, stay aware of how they're being used, think about how you can use them, because also there will realistically become a point where, you know, you, you need that knowledge to have any advantage. If you are looking to enter a job market or get a job or anything like that.
0: Yeah, I, I just like to point out that I think it's great that we have a conversation for like 20 or so minutes before getting into our main conversation. I pretty like that. Let's get into what we are here to talk about. Let's talk about your work with OpenAI, your major, major project. Can you share us more about that?
1: Yeah, sure, so so as, so, set completely separately to, to my to my role at the Alan Turing Institute. Um, so as an independent researcher, I recently got a grant from OpenAI for this big AI lab based in San Francisco, who made things like ChatGPT. And the work is really looking at, can we design processes and systems that will diversify the voices, people and stakeholders involved in the conversations around how AI is developed and how AI is deployed? So it's kind of on some stuff we've touched on already, but really, you know, because it links very much back to this bias point. because bias, there's also a risk that within within these AI systems, bias not only comes from the data that we train these machines on. So this, this huge wave of data, be it data straight from the internet, data from huge government data banks, whatever. But there is also the risk that people have subconscious biases that feed in. So the engineers who are building these tools may have, like we all have subconscious biases, and, and my subconscious biases might be very different to both of your subconscious biases, they might be very different to each other's. And you know it's very likely that as these tools are developed, these subconscious biases have a chance of slipping in. And so, for example, at the Turing, actually, we have a really great team that work called the Women in Data Science and AI team who look at the impact of the fact, the fact that, like quite a lot of STEM professions, the representation from women in the kind of AI space is way lower than men. And so they're thinking a lot about what does that mean? how these tools are developed and are there biases, for example, that are put into these tools because most of the developers are men. And again, most of these developers are, if we're looking at, for example, you know, a lot of them are based in Silicon Valley in California. So they are living within that American context, whether they're from America or not, a lot of them are men, a lot of them are university educated and probably went to quite, you know, established, well-renowned universities in America or Europe or wherever. And so naturally, I think with that comes a level of lived experience that there is a chance that these things might might slip in. So not only is it important to think about how we overcome bias at the deployment level. So, you know, the data being used, the real world context being used in, but also in the development level. And so I think OpenAI are aware of that. And that's why they put out this grant pool to get teams to kind of think about building these processes. And I think, you know, when we're developing technology that will have such a big impact on society, like I'm sure AI will, I think you should just really try to make sure that you have the most diverse voices possible, really, involved in those conversations, To make sure that also even, you know, not only it's not just about, you know, having diversity the sake of diversity, and it's not even just about problem solving, about bringing more diverse voices and lived experiences, but also identifying problems. There are problems that some people won't see because of their lived experience, wouldn't even think of. But if you diversify that, these problems can be identified really early on. You can put safeguards in place to try and mitigate that, trying to make sure those problems don't affect people when these things are really used. So I'm working with a team, um, some people from the UK think tank Chatham House, um, which is also based here in London, and also some people from this kind of community hacktivist group based out of Taiwan, called V-Taiwan, who really have been a frontier group, think about digital participation, and over the last i think it's about a decade they basically or even longer they built out this basically participation process that enabled thousands of people to be involved in decisions that were taking place in taiwan and so what we're doing is we're experimenting with the processes they built out and designed and we're basically testing can you use that in different contexts and can you use that for ai um, and that's been happening for a couple months now and we're, we're doing it for a couple more months and then we'll be we're kind of producing some reports and some some outcomes near the near the end of the year. So hopefully we get some interesting takes from that. And and if OpenAI like it, who knows? Maybe they'll think about building these systems into their tech pipelines.
2: So first of all, thank you for sharing about like what you're researching about. And as a female, I'm very grateful that there are actually people who cares about like this problem in society. And with the help of AI, so it's really interesting how you talked about like. diversity in terms of opinions are really important i'm just wondering like what will be what do you think is the biggest challenge in terms of like channeling this information into the public for example is it the problem of education or is that the attitude of the public what do you think would be the biggest problem in terms of like channeling out this information to the public
1: yeah i think in terms of communicating kind of ai and, and what it is its risks and benefits i think I think there's actually something really interesting to say about the fact that we live in a society that has had like sci fi tropes about AI for as long as any of us have been alive. You know, when, when I you know, when you mention AI, people think about like the Terminator, right? And and so there's even debates in the AI space about whether we should call what we do AI because because of what people think about what they think about that, think about Terminator or iRobot or any of these things. And and that raises Certain ideas about you know killer robots and, and all this stuff. So I think there's you know possibly even something to do with that and, and what that means. And you know kind of like we've already discussed here, AI is really complex. Certain big things are, set, are normally spoken about the most, like you know a lot of the media and people all around on social media and everything talking about AI is going to change everything. AI is doing this. Like here's what you need to do. Here's ten top tips to make sure you're a pro at AI. But what again? What they're really talking about is generative AI. It's like one little part, and I think there's also something to say that most people, a lot of people at least, there is also a a mismatch of understanding about what is AI and what isn't AI. And I think people might say, "Oh, you know, uh, the Siri on my iPhone that is AI, but Spotify, for example, um, suggesting and making a playlist for me that's not AI." And I think there's an interesting thing there where. When people think about AI, they think about this personified thing, you know, Siri is, I would view as AI because it has a voice it can talk to me and it responds and I ask it to do something with my voice and it does it. Whereas I wouldn't think about just the Spotify playlist being kind of AI, but it it is, so they use AI systems to analyze your listening patterns, see what's on your playlist, see what you're enjoying. And they develop new playlists based on that data about you. It's this kind of input data output thing, right? So I think getting people to think about what is AI, what isn't AI, and also understanding kind of some of the issues like we spoke about today. I think there is some lack of awareness about the deep issues that it could cause. And also there's a big thing, you know, in the general ecosystem at the moment, where there's also a huge number of stories. And there is also quite a lot of people in the AI space who have quite a lot of understanding of this, who, you know, say AI is gonna like kill us all, it's gonna take over the world. There's also these two huge kind of camps. Some people just saying AI is a a tool and it'll be used for greater good and it can help us with science research and it's going to make us more productive. And there are people saying we should stop developing AI because there's a huge risk. It's going to destroy democracy, destroy society, destroy humanity, possibly. So I think the main thing is that, especially as we stand right now, there is just a huge swirl of information sloshing around as there is with lots of stuff and as there is with politics normally etc but so i think thinking about how can we clear that up and and get people to really understand what is ai what isn't ai what can it be used for what is it being used for and what are the risks and and things that we think about right now like bias and data what are the possible i'm not saying that people who are talking about this existential risk of wiping out humanity are wrong i don't know but i also think in a way all of the conversation going on that can be quite unuseful to helping people understand ai So it's probably a big communication challenge and a big education challenge, like you mentioned, I think, and, you know, probably starting in primary school and really early on, we need to get people to understanding truly what AI is, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So at the beginning, we talked about political participation and throughout the entire composition, we talked about bias, right? We talked about a lot of different factors that are related to politics, but in summary, what is the way that we can increase political participation? What are these ways that you guys are trying to strategize?
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question. So I, I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of multifaceted. There's quite a few different things. So I think when it comes to AI, there's multiple ways governance and stuff is gonna move forward. I think there's a lot of discussion happening all around the world right now about the role of governments, about the role of regulators and about the role of these the private sector businesses And about the role of the kind of people making this AI. The extent to which we have participation from the public in those discussions will probably vary, and like most conversations about like deep technical laws and standards and regulation, I imagine it's probably fairly limited. I'd be really interested, and I'm kind of some people I'm working with again separately to the Turing are thinking more about how we have input into these into these processes, and, and we're exploring that theoretically at the moment. In terms of wider political participation, just in general. And and I think AI, like new things coming that will change society, not only new positives, like possibly AI, but new negatives, like the climate crisis, I think are making people think a lot about the fact that we probably should have more diverse voices, greater representation in these systems. And there's a lot happening there. There's organizations around the UK, around the world who are working towards having these kind of participatory forums. Things like citizens' assemblies are being run, you know, at the local level, at the national level, at the international level. I myself was part of a team that experimented to see if we could use global citizens' assemblies. So essentially, what would it look like if global decisions weren't made by elected politicians, but were made by everyday people who were representative of a global population? This is the idea at its core. And that's being happening now also over Europe, kind of, uh, there was this uh, big thing called the Conference of the Future of Europe, run by multiple organizations. So there is generally a bigger interest in involving people in in policy making and decision-making. And the work I'm doing at the moment is largely thinking about digital participation. how can we use digital platforms to reach hundreds or thousands of people and get them involved? It's not a new field. It's been going for a while. People have been thinking about this for a long time. And I think people will still think about it. And there are challenges in place, but it's personally what I think is incredibly important right now. And that's why I'm focusing my time on it. So. Lots of interesting people, lots of interesting stuff, um, and, and, and and yeah, it's it's complex, but interesting problems to be facing.
2: Great, great, thank you so much. So thank you so much, Flynn, for joining Paco and I today on this very special episode and sharing your insights and also your exciting project about participation and also how can we diversify the people who are included in this AI aspect. So thank you to Sustainable listeners for tuning in this week with us would love to hear from you guys about the episode. So please let us know if you have any questions and comments by messaging us on Instagram at sustainapot underscore G-I-H or email us at sustainapot at gmail.com. Again, please message us on Instagram at sustainapot underscore G-I-H or email us at sustainapot at gmail.com. So see you guys next time.
0: Thank you. Peace out.
2: Thank you.